Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. Are you thinking of starting a podcast? Whether yours is about gaming, K-pop, business, or reality TV, there's no podcast too niche or too broad. And there are listeners out there who love what you love. So let's hear it. Starting a podcast with Acast is easy. You can create, grow, and make money from your show across all podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. This is a very fun episode this week, kind of letting our hair down a little bit, talking about punk and ska and Christian movies and laughing quite a bit. I hope you guys enjoy it because it is a shorter conversation. There's not going to be a little ad in the middle. So I'll just say up top, you can support this show by becoming a patron. Patrons of the, uh, you know, Patreon campaign uh, get access to two exclusive episodes at least per month. And the Facebook group, which is for patrons only. This month, we've already had episodes, a uh, follow-up Q&A with Jim and Brianna Randall from the Quagmire of Modern Missions episode, and uh, a in-depth, going cosmic kind of conversation with Dustin Kensrew, singer-songwriter of the band Thrice and host of the Carry the, F- Carry the Fire podcast. One quick announcement. I try to avoid politics on this podcast because I don't 
uh, really like talking about it. <laughs> it kind of makes me anxious. I did depolarize for three seasons, got a lot of that out of my system. Um, and a lot of other people do. A lot of people cover politics very well. A lot of Christian politics, uh, a lot of Christian podcasts rather cover politics quite well. And so I just, I don't do that very much, but with the election coming up, there will be two episodes back to back that deal with two issues that are very high on my own personal issues list, climate change and refugees slash asylum seekers, basically the, uh, the most vulnerable of all the legal immigrants uh, to our country. So next week, there will be an episode that I didn't put together. Actually, the guys from the Nomad podcast put it together, and I'll be airing their episode. It's very beautifully produced. It has scientists and poets and theologians and all that stuff. And then the week after will be a conversation about refugees, uh, asylum seekers, detention centers, that kind of thing. And then that'll be it for politics for a while, <laughs> I promise. Uh, some of you will be happy about that. Some of you wish I'd covered it more. Can't please everybody. Okay. Well, that's a kind of a long intro. Uh, this episode doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. Just enjoy it. Have fun. I had such a fun time talking to these guys about this topic. So let's get into it. Okay. I'm excited about this conversation, Vince and Luke. This is like vacation for me compared to the psychological and theological depths that I am normally plumbing on this show, although I think we will have some interesting wrinkles here. Um, but your film, Faith-Based, Vince, you directed it. Luke, you wrote it and co-starred in it. I believe by the time this episode is out, people will be able to rent it and see it. Not yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm very excited to see it. There's no possible world to bring philosophy into it where I will not end up seeing this film. It is uh, right down the right down the, the middle for me. But I'm excited. We get to talk about movies, a little bit about punk and ska music, uh, and we will get into some some theology and psychology here. But before we get into the film, I want to start first with Luke. I heard you. This is why you're here. I heard you on the Good Christian Fun podcast. Oh, man. And one of the things that came up on that podcast, which I love, was your true, true bona fides in the Christian punk and ska subculture of which I myself was also a enthusiastic member <laughs> from ages, uh, you know, 13 to 19 or so. Oh, same. Uh, and so I just, I wanted you to just, just so that you can endear yourself, your endear yourself <laughs> to some portion of listeners. Just, just give us your, give us your bona fides there. Real well, quick. I, I can't speak for how, how old everybody listening to this is, but I'm 37 and there's definitely a very specific awesome scene that happened probably 95 to like 2000, uh, which I think, you know, you said 13 to 17. I was at that exact same yep. time. I'm also and, 37. Uh, yeah. And for me, that was kind of like, I grew up in the much more con just conservative evangelical kind of quintessential church where my mom would have every wow album every year and very, yes. you know, contemporary Christian music and Sandy Patty and the whole thing. And then I, I, I'll never forget like being introduced. I think my segue into that world was uh, the OC Supertones who were kind of the more, not only the more mainstream Christian first Christian ska band, but they were almost like a worship band that sounded cool. And so yeah. that kind of started me into that world. And, and that quickly leads you into like, 
you know, uh, five iron frenzy and the insiders on the sky side and MXPX and squad five Oh and 90 pound wuss. And just all these kinds of like speaking my language, <laughs> uh, bands. And then I, I probably got like highbrow in the like ska punk scene where you would, you know, I would hear somebody talking about Reliant K and I would almost be like, Reliant K is not cool. Squad five <laughs> Oh, this band you've never heard of is cool. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's just a funny like time period. Like you had these, festivals like cornerstone and creation that were essentially like evangelical woodstock uh where i would have like friends from junior high and high school would literally take the drive with tents and treated it like woodstock right. except we just didn't have drugs we did like praise and worship and it's such and a lots very of caffeine. specific time yeah. yeah lots of caffeine you get surge uh it was a very specific jolt cola yeah exactly a very specific five-year period of music that i don't think a lot of people were are aware of but the ones that were are oh, every time i've mentioned it are just like oh my god i have yes. not heard someone name that band in a long time no it's true and and it's going to come back in because i think it serves as an interesting counterpoint to the current subculture of the christian film industry but let's put a pin in that so, Vince, I don't know your background, but you directed this film. I, I might have said this in the intro because I haven't recorded it yet, but basically the film is poking fun at it. It's not a satire, it, as far as I can tell. It's a buddy comedy. But the context of the buddy comedy is, uh, Luke, your character and your, your best friend decide to make a faith-based film. So this is like, I can only imagine heaven is for real, right? These kind of like films made for the Christian audience, often funded by production companies that are connected to large churches, etc. So that's that's the background here. So that's why I got Luke's bona fides in the evangelical world. <laughs> uh, Vince, did you have a faith background growing up, or did you come to this as an adult sort of uh, without those preconceptions? You know, I kind of, uh, it's a little bit of both. I grew up in Orange County, California. I didn't grow up necessarily in the same sort of Christian subculture that like, Luke did. And my wife, you know, my wife grew up in Kansas and that was like from the time she was born, that right. was like her background. So I, I was more in the like, you know, Italian Catholic world that then transitioned to the Protestant world. And then, you know, in junior high and high school started going to youth group. And so I definitely have a background in that world. It's just a little bit, I wasn't like, in the promise ring sort of situation. And I didn't really get into the crazy Christian music world the same way. So it was like, for me, by the time I got into it, it was a mix of like listening to blink 182 and sublime and then going to youth group was sort of my yeah. like yeah. mixture there. Yeah. I, did, I yeah. don't even know this Vince. How did you, how did your family go from like uh, Italian Catholic type world to you going to youth group? Yeah. Well, my, my, Dad went to a Catholic high school and, and a Jesuit college. So he grew up like everything was like, you know, my, my grandparents went to church two to three times a week. Both my parents went to catechism and all that stuff. And by the time they had my sister and I, they were kind of done with religion. So when I was growing up, when I was really young, it was like they did it because my grandparents went. So it was like holidays that we would go to Catholic church or whenever we would stay with my grandparents. So they were kind of done with it. And then when they heard about what the Christian world outside of Catholicism could look like, they were introduced to the first sort of Christian church we started going to. They were like, wait a minute, they play rock music at this church. I don't understand. Cause their only version of religion was 
Catholicism. So that was kind of my introduction when I was like seven or eight, when my parents first started, like, we get to hear great music at at church sort of thing. And the furthest that Catholic mass ever got was like 70s folk. You know, there's maybe a flautist and uh, some acoustic guitar, which, you know, you got to go all the way. If you're going to make the move away from hymns and organs and choirs, you got to go all the way to U2. You can't stop. You can't stop at Chris Christopherson. You you know, you got to go. I've been to some, I I sometimes go to mass instead of Protestant church. My my wife and I are, you guys don't know anything about our faith, but we left our church a year and a half ago and have not found a church. COVID has made that more complicated. I almost became a Catholic at one point. I didn't. But one time I made the mistake of going to the contemporary music mass at like 11 a.m. at the local parish. Oh, and man. I think it it was worse than any <laughs> than any Protestant service I had ever yeah. attended in my entire life, which is thousands. At you least know, the classic Catholic, you just have like beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's it's and that's what I grew up with was like was strict choir and organ, right. nothing else. And that, I'd almost rather go to mass like that because at oh, yeah. least there's something really beautiful and, oh, yeah. you know, serene. But this that mixture that you're talking about, I agree, is like, what are you doing? <laughs> I went to the downtown cathedral one Sunday with some friends and it was the week that they were um, catechizing or whatever, whatever they were doing for the, the kids, first communion. And so as a result, they had a children's choir only doing the, the hymns and stuff in this mm. massive you know, Granite Cathedral. It was so beautiful. I was recording voice memos to send to my wife of how beautiful it was. And I was like, man, how far we've gotten, <laughs> how yeah, far we've really, gotten from this. Really? <laughs> but dude, I got this delay pedal and I've been listening to, you know, to Joshua Tree and Hillsong. Okay. <laughs> so let's all right, focusing here. Now we all know where each other is coming from. You guys had to do homework to make this film. And I am, I am very interested in the process of filmmaking. It's kind of just my little, my hobby is to listen to people talk about that process. Uh, and homework is a big part of that. When, when people decide to make a film in a genre they've not made before, they spend a lot of time watching films in that genre or directors that they particularly love. And what are they doing here? It's the same for people who write books or write music or whatever. Right. And so this is some interesting fucking homework. You guys, I would imagine watched a ton of these faith-based films. So can you please outline for us this homework process? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Uh, You know, Luke grew up with these, with these movies more than I did. So I, I, you know, and I'm sure Luke can talk, speak to that a little bit of just like being around it enough to kind of like, it kind of came out of Luke's head, the rules and the the you know, the rules of the movies and what you need to accomplish for me, I had to do a little bit more research leading up to showing up on set. And anytime I, I'm working on a project, I will bury myself in as many movies and TV shows that I think are going to help me creatively. So this was an interesting one because I'd mix, you know, a Judd Apatow comedy with War Room. It's a, it's an interesting process to watch these movies, these faith-based movies that, you know, have a very specific audience and are, try, are trying to accomplish a very specific thing. 
I was definitely, you know, the script, by the time I watched these movies, the script was already written. I, it was, for me, it was like stamp of approval. This is absolutely correct. Like, here are the rules to make these movies. <laughs> right, this is yeah. it, man. You know, and we, I watched a hundred trailers and a bunch of movies and, you know, at, at a certain point you're like, okay, this is it. This is the formula, you know? That's awesome. So if it was in your head, then you have had more interaction with these than I've had, for instance, because we're the same age. We did the whole Christian Punk and Ska thing, but I don't think I've watched any of these movies. Oh, Maybe wow. one. Well, uh, to be I've fa- stayed away. To be fair, watching them was more intentional for something like this movie, but I've been aware of them, very yeah, aware sure. of them for a long time. And so the. Well, so know, that's the move I'm interested in. I've been aware of them too, but you actually had to watch them yeah, well, to, yeah, to get ready the, for this. For sure. I mean, the idea of the movie in general kind of stemmed from two things. And, and one of those was Vince and I's first movie was called Fear Inc. And it was a horror comedy that we just made literally with our friends and credit cards and got really lucky that we got some great cast members and it premiered at a big festival, Tribeca, and did really well for us. And I think, you know, we immediately thought, oh man in a year we're going to have uh, a TV show on the air and we're going to, you know, all these things. And, and that just didn't happen. And so after a couple of years of pitching and working on other people's projects, I kind of joked with Vince, like, man, we should just make one of these Christian movies, use the money we make from that when it makes a million billion dollars. And then we can make five of our movies. I and, love uh, that it came from <laughs> that organic of a place. Yeah. And it, was, it, was, it was literally a joke. Okay, and then but- we were like, that's a funny idea. <laughs> However, yeah. it's very relatable because so before this life of mine where I have a podcast and I'm in grad school and I'm a commercial composer, I was in a emo band for 10 years called Sherwood. And we had friends in Christian bands. We toured with Reliant K twice. We wow. um, we weren't in that world. We were a general market band on a regular label, but we had the conversation sure. more time more times than I care to admit like. Hey, we're making ends meet here, but you know, the most money I ever, that was my full-time job for eight years. $20,000 was my best year, maybe 23. And we talked about it Yeah, uh, that like, Hey, this is a legit, <laughs> maybe we could uh, nudge this way. And we didn't do it, but I totally get that idea of it came from an organic place of like, I want to make the stuff I want to, I want to make creative stuff for a living. This might be a way to do that. What's well, so it. funny? One of the things that I've had asked a couple times, and, and maybe we could, maybe we'll end up touching more on this later on in the conversation. But I've had a few people ask specifically, like, who's the audience for this movie? Because the audience, we've got an R-rated comedy, and by R-rated, I just a hundred percent just language. There's no sex and violence, but like, basically, we're an R-rated comedy where the language itself is going to take away some Christian viewers who won't even click on something like that. Of course. And then we also are not making a movie that is just decimating belief or like saying you're a complete idiot for being a Christian. And so that is going to like maybe not be enough for some other audiences. And at the end of the day, it's like I've had a few friends that played in those in in kind of the what you probably were closer with Sherwood. It's it's you know, May and Copeland and a lot of yep. these bands. We toured with um, both of them as well. <laughs> yeah. And so those were a lot of yeah. bands that I, I loved at, you know, back in the mid two thousands and they would kind of ride this line of people knew that a lot of the members in the bands were believers, right. but their music was by no means, you know, stray light run and stuff. It's just like these bands were not Christian bands. And I kind of had the same thought with them. Like, Oh man, if they had pushed further into being a Christian band, they probably would have, had more mainstream success because may for example to me is a phenomenal band and i think you know if we were just making this movie to make money we would have been better off making a christian movie 
you know, but that's not what we wanted to do. We, you know, I hope that that shows in the people enjoying the movie, even if it might be a more niche audience. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So just um, in case people really don't have the background, can you just rattle off like five to ten titles of sort of oh, the most popular yeah, films here? Your original question. So, you know, for me, where I first got aware of what was happening in the Christian film world was probably mid 2000s. My dad sent me a DVD of Facing the Giants. And for those that don't know, Facing the Giants was made by uh, the Kendrick brothers who basically were working at a church in, I don't remember where, but it was a church and they funded this movie. They shot it for probably, I don't know, $50,000 or less. And it went on to make like two or $3 million. Yeah. And these guys now, then they made two Kirk Cameron movies in a row, Courageous and Fireproof, both of which my dad sent me. And those budgets went up to like one and $2 million. And now they basically have a deal with studios uh, who now every studio obviously has their own Christian division now that they've seen this. And now these guys are making movies that are more in the like five to 10 million range that will then go make 30 to $50 million. The quality of the storytelling in my personal opinion, hasn't changed very much. Uh, they have nicer cameras. They can uh, afford more expensive post houses. Maybe they'll have a bigger 90s actor. But, you know, <laughs> there's definitely like right. yeah. become this. That, that I think when those guys broke out in that regard, a lot of other Christian churches and, and producers who were just looking for money all of a sudden were aware that there is a large demographic of Christians who will support Christian things, maybe not no matter what, but kind of no matter what. And that just became really interesting to me because then all of a sudden you start seeing more and more of these movies. God's Not Dead makes, you know, millions of dollars and all these kind of not so so great Christian movies are making millions. And uh, and then Pure Flix pops up uh, from, from a guy named David A.R. White, who is a very interesting person to look up. And this guy basically said, I'm going to start the uh, Netflix of Christian cinema. I'm going to star in 90% of my movies. And it's a very interesting website to go on. And so I remember like I, I'd seen, a, you know, probably five to 10 of these movies that I named. But then at one point, Vince and I, when we were like prepping for this movie, went on to the Pure Flix website. And obviously, a lot of these movies are, are like not even on the level of God's not dead. So we weren't going to like go watch all these movies, but we did watch probably 20 trailers of just like, whoa, these are hundreds of movies, Netflix level amount of movies that were all low micro budget Christian movies. It was just an, it was an interesting world to walk into. Yeah. Well, the I, other I actually, the other thing that was interesting was when we started talking to crew members and cast members yes. to make faith based we had a few interesting situations where we'd approach somebody to work on this movie and they're like, well, you realize I've actually worked on a few faith-based movies, right? And a couple of our cast members, same exact thing. You realize I've acted in a few of these faith-based movies. You know, this is just, you know, everything Luke said is essentially from the viewer's perspective. And then all of a sudden you start hearing what's it like on the inside. And of course, this is a gross generalization, but the common thing that everybody that we've talked to that's worked on them or been in them has said is like everyone that works on these movies understands the motivation to make them, which is that they make money. And a lot of the cases, there's not even Christians behind 
the curtain making these movies. Oh, I'm sure. And that's yeah. like, and the way people are treated on some of these movies is just like baffling when you see what the content is that they're making. It's like, what are you talking about that this is your story? And then behind the scenes, you're treating people like crap or not paying people well or whatever the story is. It's just like mind blowing. Well, okay, so maybe this is not too early to to bring in this concept that I that I'm interested in, which is that in my mind, faith based films are a subcategory of what we might more broadly call red meat for the base. And so they are a particular example of this. But I can think of other film like types of films like this, like the Michael Moore documentaries, which are really not designed to convert conservatives or swing voters or whatever, you know, he has been shown to be manipulative in his editing practices. It, it is, or like the Bill Maher film, Religious, which is like Luke, you were saying that is like a aren't religious people dumb kind mm-hmm, of a movie, mm-hmm. but he doesn't interview Karen Armstrong. He doesn't mm-hmm. interview Bishop Spong. He's not talking to Rowan Williams, right? He he's picking his heads that sure. he's going to have talk. Not even just in films, right? We have a lot of literature that is this way, you know, genre stuff. And then, of course, in politics and punditry and all of that, I mean, there's just, you know, a hundred sites on either end of the spectrum that really are not interested in the truth. They are interested in clicks. And so that's kind of the way that I'm thinking about it is like it's a species of a subspecies of this genus, right, of like things that we make that we know there's an audience for. It's quintessential preaching to the choir, you know. Yes, right. Exactly. So the difference with a lot of those, though, is like with Michael Moore and, you know, Bill Maher's documentary is like the production value is still really high. And that's sure that's the thing that's like, sure, he's got a very strong perspective and he's not necessarily trying to sway people on the opposite side. He's just speaking to people that kind of agree with him. And and I, I totally get the editing tricks and stuff like that. But it's like at the very least, it's high production value and it's entertaining to watch, which is like, you know, some of the things that we're making fun of in faith based is like, sure. can at least, can you at yeah. least make this look good? You know, it's like yeah. the, the tools are out there. Why yeah. are we like, you're really dumbing this down to the bottom lowest common denominator, you know? <laughs> well, no, totally. I, I think that's true. But I also, I think there's something in there that's worth noting about the way that conservatives make fun of liberals and the way that liberals make fun of conservatives. Yeah. So, and I, I, I'm a liberal. People don't like that I am a moderate in some ways trying to build bridges, but I'm thoroughly on the left. And yeah, it, the standard jab at the far right or whatever is like, aesthetically, they're dumb. It's, it's in bad style. Uh, at mm-hmm. least, you know, at least have some style while you're throwing mm-hmm. red herring arguments all around, right? But I, I think that's kind of, at its worst, it's snobbery. I'm not accusing you of that, Vince, of being sure. a snob. But I'm just saying, like, would you rather have a piece of propaganda that's really shiny and entertaining or a piece of propaganda that you can more easily spot as propaganda because it's not shiny and isn't well, going to convince anybody else? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're both The only bad. thing I would say about that is, is, like, for me even, it's, like, it's somewhat less about even, like, the production value because like some of these, the new Kendrick brothers movies have great production value. They're shot for $6 million. They look great for me. It's more like, I think what Vince's point is in my opinion that I agree with what the person is going for is well done. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, the work is put into it to make what they're trying to, if you're, if, if you're, if you're in a band and you say, 
I'm going to make, I'm going to write a song and my song is going to be a country song. And I, Luke Barnett don't really like country, but you write a killer country song. Right. I still have to acknowledge that's a great country song versus if you just play wrote a country song that or versus if I wrote a country song who I'm not a great musician, it wouldn't be good no matter what I was going for. And I think, <laughs> I think what's happened sure. with a lot of this Christian film industry stuff is, and maybe some of this is the fault of, of the viewers. Cause they're, there's no, there's no need to make a better movie if you can make $30 million. And so it's kind of yep. like the fact that my dad rents every one of these movies, they don't have any need to ever pay right. a, a better writer or something not like in, that. They're not incentivized for that because it won't make a difference in their bottom line for sure. And it's yeah. also – it's like you know, it's embarrassing in my opinion, someone who you know I would call myself a Christian and say this is the art that you're putting out into the world, art. 100%. You know, and it's like – Clearly, the motivation is is right there uh, in every single one of their movies. That, that they're there to sell their movies and make money. They're not trying to convert an audience. They're not trying to bring people over from the other side. They're not right. trying to have an interesting conversation. And they're not trying to show that, like, hey, maybe there are some Christians out there that have some artistic ability that would like to, you know, make something that's high quality and entertaining. And I think that's the part that, like, if this is what's put out in the world and what's talked about – then everyone else is going to look at that side and go, that's a joke. And that's the part of it that's like, that I think is a shame, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is propaganda basically, or, or preaching to the choir. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just, if I'm arguing for anything, it's for criticizing all of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Not, not true. for defending any of it necessarily. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. let the criticism flow in every direction. So let's talk about these rules. We, we've sort of, we've kind of skirted around it, but like, what what are sort of the rules that make a, a Christian film marketable? I think one of the things that I've, I mean, and we can go into the, some of the jokes of the movie, but more on an overall, I've noticed that a lot of Christian movies, they do two things that I kind of have a problem with. And that is one, they basically take a lot of really good stories and they replace something with God. And so, for example, you've got somebody that's going through a massive struggle, whether that's an action adventure or a divorce, whatever that thing is. And so they're at their kind of like, you know, most epic part of that struggle and where a probably well done movie would think of an interesting way to uh, have that person get through it if they're, if they're going to get through it. Some movies, they don't get through it. That's the whole like what's real about it. But if they are going to get through it. Maybe they're pulling in their, their friend and coworkers to help them with this thing they're doing, or they overcome the massive obstacle and they get through it. A lot of Christian movies, that's where they throw in God. And so it's kind of like, there's where you pray, God saves the day. And that automatically, for me, it just kind of becomes like a bit of a crutch versus like making a movie that explores belief or explores, you know, something more interesting in that world. And the other problem I have, and I think that's why our movie is rated R and why it will deter some viewers, is that, you know, because you're specifically trying to hit an audience, that you need the church's official support. The church needs to say, we're going to go see this movie or, or officially say you should go see this movie. Right. You can't have people talk like real people. Um, you can't have the, the main character die. You can't have these things happen. Uh, you can't show the drug use. You can't do these things where uh, if you're really trying to tell a gritty story, the person's going to curse. They're going to do these things. And I'm not saying there can be movies that are for the family. I'm not saying everything needs to be R rated. You're, but you're saying there are characters in a story like this person's getting off heroin 
in the yeah. Christian movie, that person does not talk like an evangelical. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I said this on something else where it's like, where the heck's my heroin? It's just like, you're kidding. Uh, like, oh, oh gosh, but oh, so my, that's interesting because oh, my heroin's gone. You could all oh, my flipping heroin's gone. Um, where did you hide <laughs> that darn stash? Yeah, uh, no, but like, because because it's it'd be one thing to have characters in the film who like an evangelical audience would relate to and identify with who talk like them. That's, that's fine. That's like the uncle in Spider-Man or whatever. Right. I mean, sure. uh, But it's, if you're having, yeah, you're you're sort of cutting off the narrative oomph at the Mm -hmm. knees by not depicting these anything like they would be in real life. I mean, when we went to go write the characters of Luke and Tanner, who, you know, clearly our names are Luke and Tanner. They are, very heightened versions of ourselves, but still versions of ourselves. We had a moment where we're writing these scenes of like two guys drinking and goofing off in their, in their bachelor pad. And we're like, man, if we make this PG, it's like, that's not going to feel authentic whatsoever. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can't have guys doing shots at the bar, you know, playing dirty bingo. And it's like, without it feeling like, Oh, this is how this would really be. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of the buddy. It feels like it feels sorry to interrupt. It feel it feels like each of these movies has the heathen that gets converted too, and that's the part of it that's like, you know, I don't, I haven't seen a faith based movie that's just a bunch of Christians hanging out. It's like, you know, at some point there's someone in the storyline that doesn't believe in Jesus, and yet that person talks like, you know, an evangelical Christian, and that's the part that I think you know is is very inauthentic. It's like, come on. Throw yeah. in a little like f bomb or like you know something to make it be like all right we really got to get that guy over you know <laughs> yeah you're not even it's really ridiculous. motivating that they're a heathen very yeah. well right yeah. yeah yeah I mean it makes me think of like you know the the roommate scenes in Knocked Up or whatever where they're hanging out like those or they're doing their Mister Skin uh-huh. <laughs> knockoff or Flesh of the Stars right like that stuff yeah. feels like. It's heightened, like you're saying, Luke. But, you know, I, I lived with some guys in college that were basically yeah. like that. It wasn't even that. It's not that heightened compared yep. to how they lived. And so then it's real. And then that grounds that story in like, OK, I, I know what kind of person Seth Rogen's character is. I've mm-hmm. seen these people in real life. And then I can have purchase as a viewer on his narrative arc. Right. But you mentioned uh, one thing that I think is is actually kind of a puzzle. So you talk about. You know, God acting in all of these films. Right. And it's it's sort of like the deus ex machina is the whole point. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to we're going mm-hmm. to solve this mystery by invoking God who comes down and does something. It's not clear to me that this is so easy to solve, though, by simply mm-hmm. saying, well, we'll just never do that in a film mm-hmm. because a lot of people believe that God acts in the world. I mean, I I am a person who. Uh, just yesterday had a, a small prayerful experience where I felt God kind of nudge me in something. But I remember in college, I took a poetry class and they said the two hardest things to write poetry about are love and religion. Love is hard because mm. everything is about love. Everything's been said before. Religion is hard because the kind of language that people use for religion is all by definition cliched now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Scripture becomes a cliche because it gets repeated so often. And then a good poem is new. It, it, it hits you in some unexpected way. It strikes me that there's a kind of a similar problem with depicting, you know, you could depict God working through people in a film. So you can have a character who has a change of heart, right? And then decides to help. This is very common in films. 
And I would say, theologically, I think that's God acting. But if I do believe that God sometimes acts, you know, in a in a way that is a bit more fundamental than that, like, how do you depict that? Right? Like, you don't, have you thought about this? Like, how you would try to depict something like that in a film? Because that seems like yeah. a, a difficult problem to crack. It's a, it, yeah, it's, a, that is a difficult thing if you're trying to picture, if you're trying to portray God in a sweeping sort of, this is his presence working in your life in a miraculous way, which, you know, I don't know a lot of people that experience God that way that are, that would call themselves religious. I I feel like God in works in most people's lives in a much more nuanced way. And so it's the, the, I think the problem here with these movies is they're not finding creative ways to showcase what they're trying to say. But I think it, it also becomes problematic because they're taking pretty complicated issues and are trying to solve it with a one answer, you know, just believe in God, just pray enough, uh, ask Jesus into your heart, your problems will be solved. And nowhere does God or Jesus ever promise that that's real. So that becomes, that's not just not being, not creatively showing the, you know, the power of prayer or the power of, of God, but it's also, it's also simplifying a problem into something that's, you know, can be dangerous. An example of this is like, I was watching, you know, studying for this movie, I was watching War Room and the whole plot of that movie is this woman thinks her husband's cheating on her. And so she's suggested to build, to convert her walk-in closet into a prayer room, which she calls a war room. And so she takes, there's a scene where she takes all of her clothes out of her closet and, and she goes in there with the Bible and just prays to God and prays that it's great. And, and she prays that, you know, her husband will think twice about, about cheating on her. And the craziest part of that was this was the scene where her husband is out on a date, a dinner date with another woman and she's in her closet and she's praying to God, God, please, change my husband's mind, change my husband's thinking, don't let him cheat on me. And in the middle, it cuts to the dinner. And in the middle of the dinner, the husband just like sits there and magically doesn't have a desire to cheat on his wife anymore. And that's where I'm like, okay, I don't, I wouldn't discount the power of prayer necessarily, but also have a conversation with your husband, go to therapy, talk to somebody qualified, you know, it's a both. And it's like, yeah, sure. Say your prayers, but also go do the work. And cause you know, we all know marriages don't just magically work themselves out. You need to work on them. And, and that's the part that's like, that's where it becomes dangerous where people are like, well, that's all I need to do. I just need to pray and everything's going to be fine. It's like, no, 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 (laughs) that's not how it works. Yeah. So that actually brings up something that I'm really fascinated in currently, which I think is going to tie nicely into this. I'm trying to get through this summary of the philosopher Charles Taylor's book, A Secular Age. This summary is called How Not to Be Secular, Not as in parentheses by James K. A. Smith. It's a super influential book about basically like the change. The, the question that Taylor is trying to answer, I'll be as quick as I can here, is how did we go? In like educated Western society, in 1500, it was almost inconceivable to not believe in God to 2000, where in certain circles, it is almost inconceivable to believe in God. That's the question he's trying to answer. And so he says, we are all secular now. Even if we're believers, we believe 
those of us who take the modern world seriously, to steal a, a catchphrase from the introduction of my own podcast, those of us who take the modern world seriously, if we believe, we believe as secular believers. We believe with doubt. We have doubt alongside our belief. If we get cancer, none of us anymore who take the modern world at all seriously, even those of us who don't, just pray. There are a handful of small religious movements that do that, but 99.9% of people go to an oncologist. We don't really believe in magic anymore for the most serious parts of our lives. And yet, what some people do with Taylor's work is they say certain churches, a lot of churches maybe, offer a Sunday morning dose of that magic as if the world is still, in fact, enchanted like it was in the Middle Ages. Now, I'm not totally sold on this perspective, but I've been kicking it around a lot, and I think it's a helpful lens. And I wonder if that's one thing that's going on here. You know, you, Vince, you mentioned the word magic, that like the prayer will just solve our marital problems. I'm training to become a psychologist, so I love that you said go to therapy. That would be my first piece of advice. Uh, and maybe go to a therapist that your pastor recommends. Like, great, we, there's a way to do that, right? Like, do are these films also doing what some of these churches are doing by saying, I know the world out there is secular and devoid of God, but like for two hours here or 90 minutes, we're going to actually contradict that and say, no, the world is still magical. And here's how it's magical. And here's the magic that you can have. By the way, there are non-religious versions of this. The secret mm -hmm. is probably the, the first example that comes to mind. Speak your truth out into the world and magically, uh, you know, it's not just Christians, right? There is a real pushback psychologically to living mm -hmm. in a disenchanted world. We evolved with magic and we want that. And so, I don't know. That's an angle. I'm rambling. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I guess from the film perspective, there is a way to do that without it being the way that Vince just described in a war room. It's not just a straight up, I'm praying this prayer is answered while we're cutting back and forth. If you look at like, honestly, if I were, you, you know, this kind of touches on your last question as well. But like, if I was going to make a Christian movie, uh, like an actual Christian movie, it, you probably still wouldn't be considering it a Christian movie because I would make something like Room with Brie Larson. I would make something that is like uh, a movie about someone's somehow finding hope and whatnot in a world that is completely hopeless. Or I would make lion you know what i mean i you know and by by i would make i mean i'm i could not make those movies those people are much more talented but if i were a <laughs> very good writer and filmmaker i would make lion or i would make ladybird or i would you know these movies that yeah. kind of like touch on a lot of these things without being that and, and honestly if i was going to take what you said and, and, and i wanted to instill the magic and the hope uh, uh i would make harry potter you know what i mean i would make something that's like harry potter is a good example yeah or the or um, the narnia chronicles of narnia right like where are those Christian artists now? You yeah, know, like I, I, that's the kind of stuff that I would be more interested in. The the idea of making like I understand. What you're, I, I love the conversation about the difference in belief now versus the Middle Ages. I think that's incredibly interesting. But I do agree with kind of like what Vince said earlier about you know the times I've felt like oh I'm I'm having what you considered yesterday to have kind of a prayer moment or something. They've never been shown in the way of like there's never been a sound effect or some sort of like God right. did this. And so the stuff that you could show if you were making a, a Christian movie in that regard would still be so much more subtle and so much more right you know internal almost. Well, internal is a funny word because I was just going to bring up Terrence Malick, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. 
and I'm answering my own question now, I guess, of, of how do you talk about God acting? But like, I'm thinking about the thin red line, which, yeah, uh, spoiler life. alert. Well, yeah. So tree of life, obviously it's shot all the way through with faith, but in thin red line, which I recently <laughs> just rewatched. So skip ahead two minutes. If you haven't watched this film and don't want it spoiled, you've got, you know, the Jim Caviezel character, which by the way, that's its own through line to him <laughs> playing Christ in the passion of the Christ. He's got this spiritual, obviously this dialogue with God going on throughout the whole film. It's the first thing we hear in the film when he's in that Polynesian village and then he has his kind of Christ moment, his sacrifice moment at the end, which is pretty clearly in the film motivated by his spirituality. I mean, I think you'd you'd have to be blindfolded to not see that in the film. And yet, you know, Malik doesn't give that on a platter for you. That's not a deus ex machina move. It's like it is a tr- it's a it's a true character move that a person's faith motivates their decision making. Right. In a way that is realistic. There are war heroes that have mm-hmm. done that. They exist. They are exceptional. They are the heroes of films. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're but they do exist. And you can you can see that happening in an organic kind of a way. I don't know. Are, are you into are you into Malik? Tree of Life to me is whenever I have the conversation about Tree of Life, it's such a controversial movie because some people hated that movie. And I love that movie. But to me, that is just a clear that, – that, that one's the Thin Red Line I need to rewatch because I saw the Thin Red Line probably 20 years ago and haven't yeah. seen it since. So I don't really have a ton of context to talk about. But uh, the Tree of Life and it's all – the Tree of Life is also so obviously a, a, a spiritual movie. And I also wanted to see – what was his movie? He had a movie that came out last year, right? Oh, A Hidden Life. Uh, so, Hidden so Life. good. And it's another example of the, – the person's faith is very clearly – a part of his character and he is a kind of a hero, uh, but it's not beating you over the head. It's also three hours in German and not, you know, my evangelical uh, godparents are not going to see it. Right. Well, or whatever. On a much less existential level than Terrence Malick. What did you think about blue like jazz? I saw blue like jazz when, right when it came out and I can't, I mean, I remember I liked it. Okay. We were in a small group at the time that actually, we had read mm-hmm. maybe not that book, but we read um, um, something uh, from Don Miller. Yeah, the th- thousand miles of a million years, whatever that one was, and we really uh, the group really loved it. I loved it too, and so we went like we did the Kickstarter thing, and we went to the mm-hmm. screening. That's uh, cool. And I remember liking it. It was cool. It was like you know lower budget, like sure you know cast I wasn't as familiar with, but thinking it was pretty cool. And Steve Taylor was there talking about it afterwards. Well, that, see, stuff. that's that's an example. So I, I same kind of thing. It's like I I had read Blue Like Jazz years before they made that movie. Really loved the book, and I did really enjoy the movie. And and it's I think I was hoping that Blue Like Jazz would create many right. more Blue Like Jazzes. Right. On, a, on I was hoping like the Kendrick brothers who are now doing these six to ten million dollar budget movies. I wish they had seen Blue Like Jazz and said, let's do a $7 million version of Blue Like Jazz because Blue Like Jazz was a version of a Christian movie where the character is exploring his own spirituality, his own questions of belief and all these things that I think a lot of people can relate to, but done as, you know, I'm sure it could have been better, but like done as a good yeah, movie. no, well-made and, film uh, for sure. And, yes. it, and so it's it's one of only it's one of very few examples I can give when someone asks me what I think a good Christian movie is without me just going to a secular movie that has a lot of themes Christian movies aim right. for, like A Lion or The Impossible or something like that. Right. Well, that brings me back around to Christian punk and ska because I think that Blue Like Jazz is like a Five Iron Frenzy record. 
Um, <laughs> the difference between music and film, though, is that movies are so much more expensive than records are to make. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder well, if – Well, to be fair though, and granted our movie is not perfect by any means. Our movie has tons of flaws and and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like we made some perfect movie and Christians make bad movies. But I will say this. Uh, I, I won't divulge the actual budget of our movie, sure. but I will say credit cards were used and the movie was shot as low of a budget – really as a as a movie can be shot on with this many cast members and trying to be in the union. So it's like sure. this is a micro micro budget movie versus like a Kendrick Brothers movie making a 7 million dollar budget movie where I where it, and it's so it's just kind of like you know sometimes I, I know the movies are shot for much more than like a record but like you can make a good movie like you know you you can do it but I mean you can make a record now especially if you write somewhat electronic music for free. I mean, it's true for $1,000. That's, That's true. And even back when we were making records. So our first full length was, uh, $15,000. I mean, well, yeah. and that was like, a, it was in, that was in, in Best Buy. I mean, right. Like yeah. whatever, that's a professional sounding record. You know, the only albums that ever even get close to half a million or a million dollars are like, Daft Punk. They spent yeah. three years making it in the best studios in Europe. You know, like so. The whereas, engineer was paid six figures. You exactly know? right. <laughs> so there's just, and I don't know how much cheaper film can get to make. Music is about at rock bottom in terms of the mm-hmm. cost of entry. But I would, my, one hope I would have is that people would there would develop a kind of a. You know, and I don't it doesn't need to be I don't want to go back to 90s evangelicalism or anything. But one of the things that was cool about that moment in that scene is that there were a lack of rules. There were a handful of people like Brandon Ebel at Tooth and Nail and, you know, other label owners who were like, do it. I've seen what you did on stage and the the 100 local kids freaking the out at what you did. Like, just go. Let's go bottle that. Let's do the best the best we can. You have full control, and then you get this kind of creative blossoming. And what you end up with is bands like Five Iron Frenzy, who legitimately shaped my faith becoming a young adult. Mm-hmm. They're they're probably one of the big reasons that I associate now Jesus with protests and a lot of progressive politics and stuff because I had Reese's voice in my ear Wild. as a 15 year old. Have like, you ever spoken to him? I'm sure, I'm sure that you could get one of them on the, on the podcast. I have, I interviewed yeah. him. Uh, I did. I had him on one of the early episodes of this show in the first 15 cool. episodes or so. And I told him that, and because there's a low barrier to entry like that, that could happen. I don't know. I wonder if you have any thoughts about like, is there a way, or maybe this is happening and I'm just not clued into it within film of, of, could there be a scene like that mm-hmm. um, with with sort of you know uh, shared values the way that we had back in those days? Yeah, I think the I think the tricky thing that you you know anytime we're talking about something that's inspired or you know kind of breaks through culture in a way that we're like, man, that was that you know people talk about it and um, you know and want to rewatch it and share it with their friends. I, you know, and you're talking about Terrence Malick. And you're talking about, you know, and then on the secular side, you've got Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. You've got there's so many stories, and, you know, movies and, and some music that I think can touch on religion and faith and inspire people. And it sort of breaks through 
the, you know, an audience, because I, I think the difference that you're talking about is something that is inspired and something that is being created for monetary purposes. And I think that's where you get into the dangerous territory of like, why would a filmmaker who's trying to make money with a Christian audience try any harder to make their products look right or feel more entertaining if you know, my in-laws are going to go buy the DVD regardless, just because of what's on the title. Um, And that's the thing that like gets me. It's like, you know, you can do both. You can make something that is entertaining, that looks good, that's well-written, that's well-performed, that people want to talk about and makes a lot of money and talks about spirituality. You can do all of those things, but that's a lot of work. And that takes a lot of time and energy. And I'm not sure that's the motivation behind some of these artists on both the music side and the film side. I think what it takes, I agree with all of that. I think that it takes more Christians setting out to make good movies because that is going to shine through in their stories versus more Christians setting out to make Christian movies. And I know that that's like a very broad way to look at it. But at the same time, if you, you know, I remember Lance Reddick, one of the, when he first, uh, who plays my dad in the movie, you know, we were about to have our first festival premiere and it was in January and he found out a week before the the premiere that he had booked this movie that was going to shoot in New Orleans. And so he couldn't go. And he called me and he said, Hey, I'm so bummed. I can't go. Could, I'd love to see a link to the movie. And so we sent him a link and, and I'm not joking. Two hours later, I get this call from Lance and, and if Lance Reddick is, is one of the most, um, he thinks before he speaks and it can be very intimidating because he takes such long pauses. (laughs) And so, uh, he calls me and he goes, so, uh, watch the movie. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And he goes, my wife and I loved it. Like she cried. I got emotional, all this stuff. And then he says, and I'm not going to lie to you. I think you, you snuck one over on me. And I was like, what does that mean? He goes, you made what I wish Christian movies were. And I was just like, oh, that's an interesting way to put it because we would by no means consider faith-based a Christian movie. The first three words of the movie uh, are, but at the same time, (laughs) you know, there's moments in this movie where, where I think, our background, our belief does come through in the story we tell. And so I think like Tooth and Nail is the best example you gave. And granted, 90s Tooth and Nail, a lot of these bands are overtly Christian bands. But at the same time, that uh, what's, what's his name who started Tooth and Nail? You named uh, him? Brandon Ebel. Yeah. yeah, Brandon. I heard him on a podcast recently. It was great. Brandon started something that said, you go, you go do your thing. You know what I mean? And those artists beliefs and their background shines through in the music and there's a reason that five iron frenzy had such an impact on you and i think that if more filmmakers just made good movies their stories are gonna you know reflect those values like so many things though it really does come down to the audience right like democracy now exists because there are some millions of people who want like shittily thought out progressive social media posts Mm -hmm. and Newsmax exists because there are a bunch of evangelicals who are super disgruntled who want, you know, shitty news through an evangelical and militantly uh, right wing lens. And so to some degree, we always need to blame the audience for the art, at least at the, at least at the aggregate level, not for maybe the individual film Mm -hmm. You know, you can't blame the audience for the particular merits of one film, but the the trends, right? You can mm-hmm. 
the market. That really comes down to who is supporting this facet of whatever industry we're talking about, not, you know, food, everything, any, anything that is consumed and paid for. And so I am, you know, if we, I just want to spend our last few minutes looking back again at this, like what, while hopefully being charitable, because I don't like to just shit on evangelicals, but what, what did you learn about the audience from the films? Like, what can you infer? Like an example I have is an idea I have is, are there no bad or ambiguous endings? And if that's the case, then are these people who need closure? Like, do do the people who like these films require a kind of a closure? Uh, do they require, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? It's, we're, I know we're going a step from the film to the audience, but there is that link. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering what, what would be your take on it? I know one of the things I've heard from multiple fans of faith-based content, specifically movies, is the idea that they really enjoy and they value seeing what they believe and sometimes the weird things that they do on Sundays represented on the big screen. Totally. Um, And that's a, that's a, you know, I totally understand that I get, because no matter where you stand on anything, even how you look, what you look like, if you see that represented in media, then of course there's going to be an attraction there. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that, that those audiences are probably mainly looking for is they, they want to be able to watch a movie that's like, man, these people are thinking kind of like how I think. And they say some of the weird things I say, and they, you know, they pray to this, magical thing in the sky that when I go tell my coworker, they think I'm crazy, you know? And I think that's like, there's a value in that. I just don't think it needs to be dumbed down because I don't think those people that want that enjoy those movies are dumb. I I think they're probably way more complicated and nuanced than we want to give them credit for, but that's the only representation they have. So they're going to take what they can get. They're going to go, you know, if that's what's at the store or online or on pure flicks, they're going to rent it because it's like, I can't see that anywhere else. And left wing content creators are certainly not going to represent me. So that's what I'm going to buy. And there's nothing really that really floats in the middle, which I think is probably part of the problem. I, I love that answer. You were, I've already been more charitable with that answer than I was with my question or my uh, theory. Uh, Luke, do you have a thought on this? Uh, I, I was, but no, I think that, I think Vince summed it up pretty perfectly. I think the answer is a hundred percent that it's like people want to see themselves reflected on film, uh, to some capacity. It's the same reason that I think diversity is so important and there, it's great that it's coming in the world right now is yep. because children are yep. now able to see themselves, you know, as a superhero and yep. it's the same That's exact what I was thing. Say, from, exactly, yes, yeah. my, my, my dad, it's like, my dad supports all these movies because these are the movies that are out there. I think if my dad had more movies, maybe, maybe not Terrence Malick. Cause I don't think that's for my dad, but right. if you had, if you had more, you know, if there was an adult version of blue, like jazz, I think my dad might like that more than some of these movies. He's sending me the DVD of. Well guys, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for hanging out. The, the film is called faith based. It will be on VOD in October. Is that right? October 9th. Yeah. Yeah. October pretty much anywhere you can buy or rent a movie. Okay, cool. Well, this will be out after that. So go watch and uh, let's, those of, uh, those of you who are patrons, I will also set up a little post in the Facebook group 
to discuss the film for anybody who watches it. Uh, so that will be fun. Yeah, I think that, that's that's about it. I'll have a link to the trailer in the show notes. Any, anything else I need to include, guys? No, no. I mean, the no, only thing I, the only thing I would say is like it's it's interesting. We talk about about how supporting these movies and stuff, and and honestly, I feel the same way about the general independent film world. And it's like if you and maybe our movie's not for you. If our movie's not for you, pick a different one. But what I would say is these movies a hundred percent live or die by word of mouth and people actually spending the $3 to rent them. And if they right. don't, these movies won't keep getting made. So while I would love for you to check out faith-based and engage in a conversation over that, you know, I also, if that's not the one for you, go seek out some other independent film that could use your $3 and, and give it some support. Yeah. That's especially true uh, during COVID these indie movies coming out that don't even get that little small box office bump mm-hmm. that might have covered their budget or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you guys again so much. What a fun conversation. Thank you for occasionally being more charitable even than I was while I was trying to be charitable. Although <laughs> Vince, so you did, Thank you, Dan. This was fun. Although, Vince, you did say praying to some magic thing in the sky, which undercut your charitability a <laughs> this little is bit. Vince's atheist talking point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. In the show notes, I've got a link to the trailer to Faith Based as well as Luke's Twitter handle. I think he's a pretty good follow on there. And if you are a patron, there is a thread in the Facebook group. Uh, I rented and watched the film since recording this conversation. Started a thread. If anybody wants to watch it and actually discuss the themes or what you thought was funniest or whatever, do that. Um, we'll get a little discussion in there going. Kind of a thematically appropriate film for our little group uh, thank you to Josh Gilbert for editing the conversation you can hire him for other podcast work his email is also in the show notes again next week we will be back with a climate change episode that I did not put together but that is very beautifully done and I hope that you guys will enjoy and find very meaningful uh, be well see you guys soon If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Are you thinking of starting a podcast? Whether yours is about gaming, K-pop, business, or reality TV, there's no podcast too niche or too broad. And there are listeners out there who love what you love. So let's hear it. Starting a podcast with Acast is easy. You can create, grow, and make money from your show across all podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free.